We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go. Episode 258 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, February 24th, 2022. Good to have you with us. You know, the beauty of sports is that ultimately sports don't really matter. All of these things that we think about and yell about, they, in the grand scheme of things, do not matter. Uh, That's why sports are fun. They aren't life and death. And so if you are seeking a distraction from Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the horror that the Ukrainian people are dealing with right now, uh, you have come to the right place. I do this podcast in complete awareness of what's going on in the world, but I very much believe that a podcast like this one is meant to divert you from what is going on in the world, if in fact you are seeking a diversion. And so it's nice to be with you with a show in which we have a lot to get to. A special guest coming up in a bit, former Redskins defensive back Will Blackman. I will tell you right now, this is the longest interview in the now one plus year history of the Al Galdi podcast. We talked for about 40 minutes. Uh, Will was that good. We talked a lot about the commanders. So Will believes that if Russell Wilson wants the Seattle Seahawks to trade him, that he should want to be traded to the Commanders. Will has plenty to say about the Commanders quarterback situation and about the state of the team. I'm also going to discuss Will's time playing for the Redskins. Will played for the Skins for two seasons, 2015 and 2016. Those were two very eventful seasons uh, for the Skins. Uh, Will is going to take us behind the scenes regarding what was going on with the Kirk Cousins situation and also what the heck went on with the Skins secondary in that 2016 season. Will was right in the middle of the whole Bashad Breeland, Josh Norman situation. Will will pull back the curtain. If you are a Skins slash Washington football team slash Commanders fan. You're going to enjoy my chat with Will. Uh, He was great. Next segment, I will address comments from Ron Rivera. Uh, He spoke to Commanders insider Ben Standing of the Athletic DC, talked about the Commanders approach in the quest for a franchise quarterback this offseason. Also talked about the team's approach to quarterback for the 2022 season in terms of the 53-man roster. Uh, Ron actually put forth what he's thinking in terms of what the team will have at quarterback 
on its 53-man roster for the 2022 season. I'll get into all of this. And I'll talk Virginia and Virginia Tech basketball. What's going to happen with Virginia and Virginia Tech in terms of making the NCAA tournament. Uh, each team has an NCAA tournament case, but each team also is far from a lock to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, the Cavaliers lost on Wednesday night. They fell to 11-7 in the ACC with a 65-61 loss to number 7 Duke at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville. The Hokies won on Wednesday night. They improved to 9-8 in the ACC with a 62-58 win at Georgia Tech. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to reach thousands of people every day to grow your business or practice, put the power of the pod to work for you. Podcast advertising, very affordable, very much gives you a bang for your buck. Hit us up. Again, the email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jay Russell Fugit, son of former Redskins tight end Gene Fugit, who, yes, also played for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, speaking of tight ends, by the way, the commander's new tight ends coach, Juan Castillo, did an introductory press conference on Wednesday. Nothing really notable, but him being the tight ends coach is now official. Uh, the commanders officially announced having hired Castillo on Monday off the commanders having announced the retirement of the team's previous tight ends coach, Pete Hayner, last Friday. Anyway, writes Big Russ, with whom I went to Georgetown Prep High School in Rockville, read the latest Washington Post article Friday about the new attorney the NFL has hired to investigate our commanders. The article, of course, again refers to this quote, a quote you've referred to a couple of times in recent weeks, from Dan Snyder's lawyer, Jordan Sieve, saying, quote, the commanders have never prevented the NFL from obtaining any non-privileged documents and will not do so in the future, end quote. The question we need to ask is, who determines what's privileged? Of course, implied in Sieve's statement is that Dan Snyder and the commanders determine what is privileged. Guess Dan is going to try to claim executive privilege. Uh, we'll see if this new investigation can finally get full transparency. Great point, Russ. Uh, we shall see what kind of a job that Mary Jo White does in this investigation number two in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. As I talked about on Monday's show, episode 255, and then talked about with Washington Times columnist Tom Lavero on Tuesday's show, episode 256, it is far from a guarantee that Mary Jo White is going to bring Dan Snyder's tenure as owner of the team to an end. I mean, her history in no way suggests that Dan should be shaking in fear. Mary Jo White, contrary to what some think, did not oust Jerry Richardson as Carolina Panthers owner. She found Urban Meyer to be credible in her investigation in the Urban Meyer-Zach Smith Ohio State situation. And she is known to be a go-to white-collar defense lawyer. She represented members of the billionaire Sackler family in facing a wave of lawsuits. The Sackler family runs the OxyContin maker Purdue Pharma. So Mary Jo White has defended Big Pharma. Now, does all of this make Mary Jo White a bad person? No. But she's far from someone who we should assume is doom for Dan Snyder. Email from Billy D in NC. On the end of Crestgate, writes Billy D, great work on the pod. I am glad we are putting the Crest mess to rest. However, I could not help but wonder, how can this happen in the first place? 
A thought that came to my mind involves the Redskins championship banners. Don't these banners hang in FedEx Field? Aren't the banners or facsimiles of the banners hanging somewhere in Ashburn? Didn't anyone in the entire organization look at the banners or the Lombardi trophies and notice the years? Amazing this can occur in a so-called professional sports organization. Uh, Thank you for the email, Billy D. Yeah, I'm not sure where the Super Bowl championship banners hang. I do know that they have hung at the team facility because I weeks ago tweeted out a photo of the great Joe Gibbs standing in front of the three Super Bowl championship banners. And those banners feature the years 1982, 1987, and 1991, not 1983. 1988, and 1992. Imagine that. Email from Josh on a fight song for the Commanders. Writes Josh, I think you are onto something. The Commanders' new fight song should be tag teams, whoop, there it is, or 95 Souths, whoot, there it is, with Jason Wright's, there it is, dubbed into the song. What do you think? If not, I say we all here in Galdi Nation nominate the pod opening song as the new Commander's fight song. P.S. When will you be changing the pod logo to reflect the name Commander's? Well, I like where your head is at, Josh, especially with that suggestion that the intro song for this podcast should be the Commander's fight song. You know, the intro song for this podcast is just begging for some lyrics, perhaps some Commander's fight song lyrics. Uh, As for the logo of this podcast being updated so that the logo has Commander's instead of WFT. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I put in a request for the logo to be updated a few weeks ago. I was told that the wheels were in motion, but we're still waiting. Uh, I want the logo to be updated because when it is updated, I can say, there it is. There it is. (laughs) Yeah. When the logo gets updated, I can actually say, there it is. I can't wait to be able to say that. Uh, I don't know. Am I going to have to bust some heads to get this logo updated? Uh, hopefully not. But yeah, logos matter, as we have come to know. Crests matter, <laughs> as we have come to know. And so if you want to grow your business, if your business needs to improve its overall customer experience, if you want to impress clients with the story that your business tells digitally, if you want to have a crest for your business that has the right years to commemorate Super Bowl championships, then you should put ImageWorks to work For you, especially because ImageWorks right now has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. ImageWorks is offering a free review of your website and SEO visibility to establish a base of where you are and map a chart for where you want to be. ImageWorks and you will plan with digital web and marketing goals that you can see live via ImageWorks customers portal. The portal shows you how all goals are performing in Google Analytics and how all marketing programs and website visitors are behaving. ImageWorks has a complete team of in-house designers, marketers, developers, art directors, strategists, and writers. You can put any or all of them to work for you. And know this, ImageWorks is located in the DMV but serves the entire country by utilizing a virtual approach. So no matter where your business is located, ImageWorks can work for you. So here's what you do. Go to imageworkscreative.com, click on contact, you're the upper right corner, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. That's imageworkscreative.com. Image, one word, works, plural, creative.com. Imageworkscreative.com. Click on contact, you're the upper right corner, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast 
for the free offer. You can also call or text the owner of ImageWorks, Scott, at 703-928-7309. Yeah, you can hit him up at 703-928-7309. Scott's a big fan of all Washington, D.C. area teams. He is a regular listener of this podcast, and he loves brainstorming ideas and technology that can help you grow your business. Scott has been doing what he is doing since 1996. ImageWorks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. Up next, the latest from Ron Rivera on the Commander's franchise quarterback search and also on the Commander's quarterback plan for the 2022 season. And my thoughts on what Ron had to say. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so this offseason for the team now known as the Commanders is perhaps unlike any other offseason in the history of the franchise in that the team is all in like never before on getting a franchise quarterback. We've had plenty of busy offseasons for our team. We've had plenty of eventful offseasons for our team. And we even have had offseasons in which the team clearly was going to do something significant at quarterback and did do something significant at quarterback. The 2012 and 2018 offseasons come to mind. But I can't remember another Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders offseason in which the team so clearly told us that it was all in on trying to get a franchise quarterback. And we on Wednesday had yet another instance of the team telling us that it is all in on trying to get a franchise quarterback this offseason. Now, when I say the team, of course, what I'm really saying is Ron Rivera. Uh, Ron, for months now, has been telling anyone who will listen that the team is all in on trying to get a franchise quarterback this offseason. You don't often see this in sports, a head coach or a head of operations being this blunt and this upfront about things. Uh, Ron now routinely puts forth his sales pitch 
for why the Commanders should be an attractive team for a franchise quarterback. I mean, you know the spiel by now. Number six offensive line in the NFL in the 2021 regular season for Pro Football Focus. A thousand yard receiver in the 2021 regular season in Terry McLaurin. A thousand yard rusher in the 2021 regular season in Antonio Gibson. Lots of salary cap space. Washington, D.C. is a great city. We can all recite the talking points by now. Well, we on Wednesday got the latest installment of the Ron Rivera sales pitch. Uh, Ron spoke to our good friend, Commander's Insider, Ben Standig of The Athletic DC in a piece that came out on Wednesday. And Ron, once again, was selling the Commanders as a potential landing spot for a franchise quarterback. Like, say, the Green Bay Packers' Aaron Rodgers or the Seattle Seahawks' Russell Wilson or perhaps even the Houston Texans' Deshaun Watson. Ron, quote, we'd like to believe we would be a viable option for a lot of quarterbacks. We understand what the capital will take to bring a type of player like that here. We believe we have a lot to offer, end quote. Uh, Now look, I have no problem with Ron continually selling the commanders as an attractive destination for a franchise quarterback. He should be doing that. Uh, He can't outright speak to guys like Rodgers, Wilson, and Watson. That would be tampering. Uh, But Ron certainly can try to build up the commanders into being an appealing team. And who knows? Maybe those guys view the commanders already as an appealing team. I mean, there are reasons to consider the commanders appealing. Ron's not lying when he lists all of these qualities possessed by the commanders. But the frequency with which Ron is selling the commanders really does stand out. I mean, you just don't see this that often. Uh, Ron, during his Zoom press conference on the day of the announcement of the name commanders on February 2nd, spewed his talking points about why the commanders should be an attractive team for a franchise quarterback. Ron clearly has been telling a bunch of national reporters that the commanders are an attractive team for a franchise quarterback and or that they are all in on trying to get a franchise quarterback this offseason. I mean, what sticks with me as much as anything is NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB in a piece that was published on January 31st, basically putting forth a press release for Washington in writing stuff that was clearly based on things that he had been told by Rod Rivera, wrote Breer, quote, the Washington football team is preparing to take a big swing at a quarterback this offseason per team sources with big names like Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson potentially out there. Washington feels like it has plenty to pitch such a veteran. While Brandon Sheriff's free agency looms, it'll be open-minded approaching a new contract. WFT had the NFL's sixth-ranked offensive line per PFF last year, and its depth was proven through significant absences that led to the coaches going to their fourth center, fourth tackle, and fourth and fifth guards. Washington also has a 1,000-yard receiver, Terry McLaurin, a 1,000-yard rusher, Antonio Gibson, and other weapons on the offensive side of the ball, like Logan Thomas and Curtis Samuel returning from injury. And the defense has a good foundation, and it's still young defensive line, particularly with Chase Young coming back from ACL surgery. Then there's the intangible factors. Getting to live in the D.C. area and being on the front end of a team rebrand that'll be unveiled Wednesday. Oh, gee, I wonder how that went. Uh, and the fact that the, <laughs> and the fact that the cap flexibility would give a quarterback a shot to bring a piece or two with him. 
So if you put all that together, there's reason to pay attention to Washington as the football team again throws its hat in the ring. End quote. I mean, the commander's media relations team could not have written that in any more of a pro-commander's way. Dan Snyder's lawyer, Jordan Sieve, could not have written that in a more pro-commander's way. Uh, NFL insider Peter King of NBC Sports, he went on 95-7 the game in San Francisco on February 15th and said, quote, I had a good talk last week with Ron Rivera at the Super Bowl and they are going to do something at quarterback. They don't know yet what it is, but they're going to do something at quarterback. And quote, did you see what ESPN NFL insider Jeremy Fowler had earlier this week? Fowler, in a piece that came out on Tuesday, wrote, quote, many around the league expect Washington to comb the big ticket quarterback market. The commanders will most likely look at all options and won't limit themselves, end quote. Again, Ron Rivera has been telling anyone who will listen that the commanders are an attractive team for a franchise quarterback and or that the commanders are all in on trying to get a franchise quarterback this offseason. But of course, all of this selling may not matter in terms of Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson. I mean, it may well be that neither Rodgers nor Wilson is traded, and Watson's legal situation may make him untouchable, especially for our team with its workplace misconduct scandal. And this is part of the danger of Ron Rivera constantly saying that the commanders are an attractive team for a franchise quarterback and or that they are all in on trying to get a franchise quarterback this offseason. What if the commanders don't get a franchise quarterback? this offseason? What if the commanders just don't have a viable path to getting a franchise quarterback this offseason? Then what? We as fans of the team now known as the commanders have been waiting a long time, a very long time, for a franchise quarterback. Now this offseason, we as commanders fans keep being told that uh, Santa Claus is coming to town, okay? Well, what if Santa Claus doesn't come to town this offseason, okay? Or what if all Santa brings us is Mitchell Trubisky and Desmond Ritter, all right? I mean, now, maybe Mitchell Trubisky and Desmond Ritter work out great, but off especially this Ron Rivera Salesman Act and off especially all of, you know, the Russell Wilson talk, Mitchell Trubisky and Desmond Ritter aren't going to feel like Santa Claus uh, has delivered on all of the hype. But it is clear that the commanders are all in if trading for an Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson is a possibility. And the commanders should be all in if trading for an Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson is a possibility. I mean, when it comes to getting a franchise quarterback, there is only so much you can control. So that which you can control, you need to control well. So what you're basically trying to do when you are a franchise quarterback needy team like the commanders is be ready. And as soon as the opportunity presents itself, you need to pounce. As soon as the target becomes available, you need to strike. But when the opportunity will present itself, when the target will be available, we do not know. Santoron uh, to Ben Standig made it clear that the commanders would not be shy about giving up whatever it would take to trade for a franchise quarterback. Quote, if you feel like you need to get those pieces and you can get those pieces using draft capital or whatever capital you have in terms of player trades and all that good stuff, 
Why not do it? End quote. Yeah, 100%. And this is a very different tone versus the one that Ron Rivera struck last offseason. If you remember, Ron last offseason talked up how you don't have to have an elite quarterback to do really well. You don't even necessarily have to have a franchise quarterback to do really well. And Ron kept bringing up the Philadelphia Eagles winning a Super Bowl with Nick Foles as their starting quarterback. Although that conveniently leaves out that Carson Wentz, who was at his peak, was the Eagles starting quarterback for the bulk of that season, what was the 2017 season. And Carson Wentz was a legit MVP candidate in that 2017 season. Now, there was merit to what Ron Rivera last offseason was saying about the quarterback position. The problem with that approach, though, is that it requires a number of other things going well. Your margin for error with that approach is minimal. And as we saw with Washington in the 2021 regular season, too many non-quarterback things did not go well. Principal among them, the defense. The defense was supposed to be great. It was not great. And during Washington's 2-6 and six start to the 2021 regular season, was really bad. And so Ron, this offseason, is not talking about the quarterback position the way that he last offseason talked about the quarterback position. And I also think part of that, too, is Ron is desperate to win in the 2022 season. You know, Ron has said that it's time for the team to start to take a big step forward. Uh, you know, I've seen some debate recently about who on the commanders should not be traded. Who on the commanders is untouchable? Uh, here's the answer. Nobody. Okay? When it comes to trading for a franchise quarterback, nobody on the commanders should never be traded. And nobody on the commanders is untouchable. Now, are there certain players who you very much don't want to trade? Of course. Are there certain players who you should do all you can to keep? Of course. Terry McLaurin immediately comes to mind. Jonathan Allen immediately comes to mind. But honestly, there aren't many players beyond those two who you would absolutely hate for the commanders to trade. I mean, to me, it's telling that Chase Young doesn't immediately come to mind. And I'm not saying that you should be doing all you can to trade Chase Young, Okay, especially this offseason, you'd be trading Chase Young at a low value point. But like when you think about who are the commanders players who you would absolutely hate for the team to trade away, you can count those players on one hand. I mean, I like plenty of players on the commanders, but there are very few who I like enough to where I would say I would hate it if the commanders traded those players for anyone, especially a franchise quarterback. The bottom line is this. No position in sports, let alone football, uh, matters more than quarterback. So if you don't have a franchise quarterback and you have a chance to get a franchise quarterback, you basically should be willing to give up whatever it takes to get that franchise quarterback. There were two other things from Ron Rivera to Ben Standig regarding the commander's quarterback situation that I wanted to talk about. One has to do with the state of the commander's roster. Uh, Ron Rivera equated where the commanders are from a roster standpoint to where the previous two Super Bowl champions, the 2020 Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the 2021 Los Angeles Rams had been prior to acquiring veteran franchise quarterbacks in the offseasons prior to winning Super Bowls. Uh, remember, the Bucs signed Tom Brady in the 2020 offseason, then won the Super Bowl 
for the 2020 season. The Rams traded for Matthew Stafford in the 2021 offseason, then won the Super Bowl for the 2021 season. Ron, quote, for the most part, the Buccaneers and Rams were in place and went and got their quarterback. I believe we have the makings of a good football team. We have to be able to have the pieces in place to say that, and I believe we do, end quote. Ron has brought up this idea that the non-quarterback portions of the commander's roster are good enough to where if the team gets a franchise quarterback, the team is ready to win. I do agree with Ron on that. The non-quarterback portions of the commander's roster are far from perfect, but they're also not terrible. And I do think that they're at a level of good enough to where if the team gets a franchise quarterback, the team can win i.e. be a playoff team and maybe even win a game or two in the playoffs, depending on the level of that franchise quarterback and also on the levels of those non-quarterback portions of the roster. But consider the following. So Pro Football Focus has developed its own version of wins above replacement or war. Uh, War has been a baseball thing for years. There now are versions of war in other sports. PFF has developed an NFL version of war. If you just look at players drafted since 2019, Washington is number three in the NFL in total PFF war accumulated by non-quarterbacks over the last two seasons. Now, I'll grant you, this is a very, (laughs) very specific thing to look at, but uh, just players drafted since 2019, total PFF war accumulated by non-quarterbacks over the last two seasons, Washington is number three in the NFL. The Kansas City Chiefs are number one. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are number two. So that gives you an idea of this isn't some Fukakta list with all kinds of teams in all kinds of places. Like, no, Chiefs number one, Bucks number two. Okay, those have been two of the best teams in the NFL over the last two seasons. Well, Chiefs number one, Bucks number two, and the team now known as the Commanders is number three, thanks to guys like Terry McLaurin and Montez Sweat and Cole Holcomb and Antonio Gibson and Cameron Curl and, yes, Chase Young. The non-quarterback portions of the Commanders roster are not as bad as we sometimes think. Uh, Also, Ron Rivera addressed the Commanders' likely quarterback makeup for the 2022 season. Quote, We're more than likely going to have a veteran on the roster, more than likely we'll have another veteran, and more than likely have an opportunity to have a rookie on the roster as well, end quote. So that to me was notable. In fact, that might be the newsiest item from Ron regarding the quarterback situation in his conversation with Ben Standing. I mean, Ron right there seems to be saying that the commanders will be having three quarterbacks on the team's 53-man roster for the 2022 season. Uh, That, to me, is good news. The team should have three quarterbacks on its 53-man roster, and the team did go with three quarterbacks on the 53-man roster to begin last season. The team went into the 2021 regular season with Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke, and Kyle Allen as the three quarterbacks on the 53-man roster. But two of those three guys may well be as good as gone. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is set to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. I think that Fitzpatrick is gone, and he may, in fact, retire off the right hip subluxation that he suffered in week one 
of last season uh, would, of course, prove to be a season-ending injury. Uh, and I don't get the feeling that Kyle Allen is coming back. He's said to be a restricted free agent this offseason. I very much could see the commanders non-tendering Kyle and allowing him to become an unrestricted free agent. And then he just signs with another team. Ron Rivera seemed to have zero interest in playing Kyle last season. I do think, though, that Taylor Heineke will be back, and Taylor Heineke should be back. Uh, He is under contract for the 2022 season for very little money, and Ron indicating that the commanders will be having three quarterbacks on the team's 53-man roster for the 2022 season would seem to suggest that Taylor will be back. You would think that he'll be one of those three quarterbacks. Who will the other two quarterbacks be? Who knows? Uh, If I had to guess right now, I'd say Mitchell Trubisky and a draft pick. Hopefully, Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis. uh, Those are the two guys who I like the best in the 2022 NFL draft quarterback class. But, I mean, so many things can change. And we don't know what the commanders are thinking internally. Maybe the commanders internally love, say, Sam Howell. Okay, again, who the heck knows? I'm going to be talking a lot about the 2022 draft quarterback class next week on the podcast as the NFL scouting combine will begin this Tuesday, March 1st. But just know this, ever since Kirk Cousins left the Redskins as an unrestricted free agent in the 2018 offseason, the team has started at least three quarterbacks every season. 2018, the Skins started four quarterbacks at Alex Smith, Colt McCoy, Mark Sanchez, and Josh Johnson. 2019, the Skins started three quarterbacks in Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, and Dwayne Haskins. 2020, Washington started four quarterbacks, if you count the postseason. Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, Alex Smith, and Taylor Heineke. And 2021, Washington started three quarterbacks in Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke, and Garrett Gilbert. So yeah, the commanders going into the 2022 season with three quarterbacks on the 53-man roster is a good idea. Up next, a welcome to the podcast, former Redskins defensive back, Will Blackman. Uh, He believes that if Russell Wilson wants to be traded from the Seahawks, the commanders should be his number one destination. We'll talk about that. We'll discuss why Will thinks that the commanders should be interested in Mitchell Trubisky. And we'll also do lots of story time with Will regarding his two seasons with the Skins, 2015 and 2016. As you may recall, there was a lot going on with the Skins during those seasons. Trust me, you don't want to miss this. Will Blackman, straight ahead. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or that is preventing you from achieving your goals? You or someone you love falling into depression or struggling with anxiety can keep you from what you care about. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Now understand, BetterHelp is not a crisis line. BetterHelp is not self-help. BetterHelp is professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas, and BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide. 
BetterHelp is convenient. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist from whom you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as you do with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, and so BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change therapists if needed, and BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. You deserve that. And so here's a special offer. Go to betterhelp.com slash Galdi. That's betterhelp.com slash Galdi, G-A-L-D-I. And join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You'll get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp just by going to betterhelp.com slash Galdi. That's betterhelp.com slash Galdi and get 10% off your first month. So many people have been helped by the great therapists at BetterHelp. How about this from a client on a therapist named Mary Allen? Quote, since I've worked with Mary, I've seen so many positive changes in daily life. I always look forward to our conversations because I feel so supported and Mary always has great ideas and solutions for me. End quote. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that BetterHelp is actually recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Look, we all know people who have struggled with mental health. Perhaps you yourself have struggled with mental health. There's no shame. Those days are done. So many athletes have dealt with mental health difficulties. Take control of your mental health. You deserve to be happy. Go to betterhelp.com slash Galdi. That's betterhelp.com slash Galdi. All right, very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now our special guest. He was an NFL defensive back for 10 seasons. His final two seasons were with the Redskins, 2015 and 2016. He was a member of the 2011 Super Bowl champion New York Giants. Will Blackman is with us. Uh, He has a really cool website, thewinemvp.com. Will, it's nice to talk to you, man. How are you? No, thank you. I'm uh, I'm excited. I always love talking ball, man. So anytime I get the opportunity, I rarely turn it down. Well, it's good to have you on the podcast. I definitely want to ask you about your time with the Redskins, but what caused me to reach out to you was something that you tweeted recently. Uh, the Skins, of course, now are the commanders. Uh, they have made it no secret that they are wanting for a franchise quarterback. There's a lot of talk right now about the team potentially trading for the Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson. And I don't know if you were trying to get everyone excited, but you on February 17th tweeted the following, quote, if Russell were to leave Seattle, the best team for him is right back home with the Commanders, end quote. Uh, Will, that is sweet music to my ears. I'm guessing that is sweet music to the ears of many listening. Why do you believe that the best non-Seahawks team for Russell Wilson would be the Commanders? Well, I mean, I, I look at the entire picture. I, I feel like Washington, I feel like the commanders are, are literally a quarterback away from at least getting to like the conference championship game. You know, I, I feel like that's the thing because I, I love how they compete. You know, uh, Coach Rivera has them competing on, on, all, on all phases. But I really feel like, man, that, that position has been the one that's been holding them back for a long time and um you know obviously ever since 
Kurt left, there has been no stability in that position. And so I just, and plus I feel like for, for Russell, he, he perhaps might need a change of scenery. He might need um, a, a different destination, which could potentially, you know, just light a new fire under him, you know, because I, I feel like once you're in an organization and you start hearing all these things for the past, like three years, like he wants to be traded or he has to go somewhere or they might let him go somewhere else. All these, or he's not happy. He's not getting protection. You know, um, he'll get the protection in Washington, I, I feel. And plus, like I said, he'll be back home. He's a he's a Richmond native, I believe it is. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's why for me, out of all the places, I know people have heard like New Orleans and you know Denver, but I just feel like the the Commanders, and plus too, I, I feel like every every year, as we know, the NFC East is wide open. <laughs> like, yeah, hasn't been consecutive winner in, in God knows how long. So one of the things that comes up a lot from people regarding the commanders is, well, why would a Russell Wilson want to come here? And people will bring up things like, you know, for basically three decades, the team has not been very good. Uh, people will bring up Dan Snyder. People will bring up other things. When a guy yeah, like a... Me, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I'm glad you said that. I'm sorry to cut you off. But I'm glad because I heard that several times. Like, why would he want to, want to come play for Dan Snyder? Players don't go to organizations to play for the owner. <laughs> like, no. I mean, you, you you rarely see Dan when you're there. Um, unless you, you know, I know in the building, all the offices are right there. But you don't you don't see him as much. And he's not, he's not in the locker room always. He's not always, you know, interjecting himself in meetings. Like, you don't, you're not there. You... My point is, like, our interaction with with the owner is not is as great as people think. Or as a player, I wasn't like, man, you know, I really wish I played for a different owner. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't even like that, you know what I'm saying? And plus, too, when I was there, the beef wasn't – it wasn't with the owner. It was between the the president and the GM. Like, that was the beef. So – um, yeah, I don't, I, I just want to say like, that's, that's, that is not the case at all. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was going to ask you about. I do think that the Dan Snyder factor is an overrated factor regarding players. And you just articulated why in terms of the talent on the commanders beyond the position of quarterback, you just got into some of this, but where are the commanders right now in terms of the roster beyond quarterback? I see a lot of guys in terms of just their uh, ability and, and toughness now and a lot of skilled guys. Now we'll say at the end of the day, you still have to have um, chemistry. And I feel like the, the, the tightest group was probably the offensive line. And then you're right. All that ability on the defensive line. I know we saw that little scuffle, but you know, it's two guys that know each other on the sideline on the defensive line. Um, but there, there was a lot of, um, I feel like inconsistency and chemistry lacking in the secondary, which, which is huge, you know, because when there's no communication or chemistry back there, you, you give up, you know, the big plays, but yeah, I just, I really feel like they just, that's why I believe that corporate position is, is so is so vital um, because when you don't have that leadership there, that I feel like everyone feels like it's their job to be a leader in that team or, or, or for that locker room. So um, this is this is not a bad football team at all. That's you know when I look at it, and I would say 
99% of that is because of Coach Rivera. Uh, when he came in there and really shook things up from a front office, from a coaching and from a, uh, you know, um, philosophy perspective. So, yeah, I, I just feel like right now, especially when you when you have a team like this, and plus that's kind of what's going on right now, right? Unless unless you have a can't miss in the first round, like you don't you don't you don't even bother. You don't need to do that because I feel like the right now everyone is trying to just build the team quickly. You know, you saw obviously the last team to win was the the Rams, and they're hey we have the pieces. We're not going to go and try to find a young guy to take us there. We're ready to go and win now. And obviously Washington is long overdue and it's kind of like, let's, let's strike right now while the iron's hot, especially in that division in, in the NFC East, because it's like, Hey, you know, why, why try to rebuild? Why try to find a young guy to like have us do well for the future when right now we don't know what New York's going to do. Philly's still trying to figure out. Yeah. Dallas has a machine down there, but they don't know. They don't know how to drive that Ferrari yet. You know, so I think right now it's like, man, strike with Allen's hot. The Russell Wilson situation is complicated in a lot of ways. Obviously, the Seahawks would have to want to trade Russell Wilson. And there are so many reasons that make you say, well, why would the Seahawks want to trade Russell Wilson? He also has a no trade clause. So if the commanders were going to trade for Russell Wilson, uh, Wilson would have to green light a trade to the commanders. Obviously, though, Russell Wilson could make it so that the Seahawks feel like they have to trade him because he wants out. Russell Wilson, over the last two offseasons now, has put out quite a few clues suggesting that he wouldn't mind being traded or that he is at least open to being traded. What do you make of the Russell Wilson situation from Wilson's standpoint? It's your brand. You want to put that out there, Al. You want to be like, hey, you know, maybe maybe somebody is going to do something crazy. Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there have been quite a few clues. You know, Russell's very image conscious. So you say to yourself, well, he wouldn't be putting out these clues if he wasn't meaning to put out these clues. So we'll see. But if, in fact, Russell Wilson isn't available, then you may well be looking at a second tier of quarterbacks. And a guy who has come up a lot is Mitch Trubisky. Uh, Washington was linked to him last offseason, was linked to him again uh, prior to this past season's trade deadline. Uh, You tweeted on Tuesday afternoon, quote, I think Mitch Trubisky is talented and was simply a victim in Chicago. I would take a hard look at him if I was Washington, end quote. So with Mitchell Trubisky, I think the guy who comes to mind is Ryan Tannehill, who has had a largely successful second act as an NFL starting quarterback with the Tennessee Titans of having maybe not been a first round bust with the Miami Dolphins, but certainly not having panned out with the Dolphins. Could a guy like Trubisky in a second act as a starting quarterback have a Tannehill, Tennessee Titans like go of it? Sounds like you think that's a possibility with Trubisky. Yeah, I mean, I look at Trubisky. Well, first of all, I look at the the NFL and there there are a lot of talented guys who I would say either don't don't do well or disappeared simply due to where they are. It's a lot of it has to do with situation and, and opportunity. And, you know, I, I've been fortunate to be around Mitch. Um, I know his agents over at rep one and to, to see him and he, he has, he has franchise quarterback energy in terms of like how he, how he is, how he carried himself. He's a really great, great dude. Um, and he's a talented athletic guy. And you're like, man, like, 
And plus, uh, you know, you, you look at Chicago, you're like, man, like he he's done some cool things, but he also he does some things that haven't been great. And obviously everyone looks immediately at Nagy as like, hey, man, you know, perhaps, you know, him not being able to win with any quarterback that he's had, perhaps that's probably why he hasn't done well. And it, it definitely has to do a lot with situations. And um, I think the best thing for him was to go to Buffalo and sit there behind Josh Allen and, and watch him do his thing and, and learn and, and be around a first class organization. So, yeah, I mean, the, the reason why I mentioned that Washington, because it, it always goes back to when um, when they were holding off, when Washington was holding off trying to pay Kirk, uh, when Kirk wanted his money. And uh, I remember Scott McClellan was like, look, like, I'll take care of the quarterback like i'll i'll pay him enough where like, like yeah he's he's set and what have you but i'm gonna take care of him also by building a team around him so he can do his thing now i understand kurt like hey you, you want to maximize your value get as much as you can and, and power to him and i and you know obviously it worked out in his favor he was fortunate to stay healthy and, and play every game but i feel like if he does if washington was a place for him let's say they did go and, and got and get him they have they can for real continue to build that team uh where it, it's competitive on all levels because at the end of the day i mean you i mean you don't have to pay you know a gazillion dollars to 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 win a super bowl you know it's 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 all about really the team um now i say that and the, the rams went all in to get yeah. stafford and what have you so uh, yeah, I just I just say yeah, I would take a hard look at him, um, and a hard look meaning like no, I'm not 100 percent convinced like he's the guy that can come do something different. But I would take a hard look at him for sure. I want to revisit the Kirk thing because you were with the Skins in such an interesting time in their history. But was it ever? Oh yeah, I mean there was so much stuff going on for those two years that you were there. But in today's NFL, seeing what we all just saw in the NFL playoffs, do you think that you have to have? an elite quarterback or like a top 10 quarterback to really be a great team? Or do you believe that you can have, you know, a Mitch Trubisky type or someone who is just good enough that, you know, if you have enough talent around the quarterback, you can do well. There are examples of that working in NFL history. It also, though, is feeling like the NFL is changing. And that Kansas City Chiefs Buffalo Bills divisional round playoff game still sticks with me and I'm sure still sticks with a lot of people listening. You know, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, like this is the NFL of the now and of the future. Two stud quarterbacks going at it, you know, putting up points and yards like crazy. What do you think is the right approach right now in 2022 at the quarterback position for a team like the Commanders that clearly is quarterback needy? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the the most crucial thing is you, you you know you you must have a quarterback that is not afraid of the big moments. You know, I think that was kind of that was kind of the idea of, of Washington going to get Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like he he has no fear, <laughs> you know, um, and that's I think that's the energy that they liked. You know, unfortunately that did not work out. But he has no fear. He's he's not afraid of the big moments. You know, um, you know Alex Smith was was you know good in that situation too but unfortunately he got injured as well so you look at a team that's i mean built well on all cylinders like uh the 49ers right and right you have jimmy garoppolo who you know he's people keep people keep looking at him like ah oh, you know he's making mistakes but same thing he's he's a winner and he actually has led his team to the super bowl you, you know 
sure he's not he's not thrown for the the, the four hundred you know three eighty every single time, but he does what he needs to do to get his team in a position, and that's exactly what happened. Despite you know him going back and forth all year with Trey Lance and you know switching roles, he still had a strong mind. Like hey, when I'm in there, like let's let's go, let's go for it. You know, uh, to go into Lambo and 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 do that. Uh, as a team, but the team believed in him. You know what I mean? So I think, sure, having a elite quarterback absolutely helps. I mean, you look at all the quarterbacks that made it into the to the playoffs, majority of them were, were absolute studs. But then, right, you have like the Tannehills, you have the Garoppolo's uh, in, in that uh, in that realm um, where it's like, man, but, but the team, the team was built strong yeah you know what i'm saying and i i look at i can see washington being like the tennessee titans where they really took on the personality and the mindset of their head coach and and you can see it um because the leader the leader of that team we could say we could say it's you know henry where that team is it's coach variable like he's the one that yeah, really makes it go because for them to have over ninety injuries, something something crazy like that, I think they had something ridiculous and still um, be competitive into the postseason. You know, get the number one seed, um, which is why he got coach of the year. Yeah, and then Ryan Tannehill struggled in that playoff game, and people look at it like, well, they don't have a good enough quarterback. So it's a funny thing. Like you can argue it however you want to argue it because there are examples. You can, exactly. There's, there's no right or wrong exactly. in situation. It's just, it truly is because you're like, man, he did it all the way without Derrick Henry, and then all of a sudden he threw three picks. He's like, ah, he's terrible. Yeah, Get right. Out of there. We need we need Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then of course, what happened to Aaron Rodgers? He lost at home to Jimmy Garoppolo. So like, what does that mean? You know? Right. So and they they only what scored. Barely 10 points. Yeah. Crazy like that. Right? Yeah, it was crazy. So, all right. So your time with the Redskins, 2015 and 2016, uh, you were a part of the 2015 NFC East winning Redskins, and you were an in-season signing. This was so interesting to me. Scott McLuhan signed you in September 2015, and you ended up being a really meaningful contributor on that team. I remember you had a big interception and a win of the Giants at FedEx Field in late November of that season. What was that season like for you, joining the team after the season had started and then being a meaningful contributor on what ended up being a division champion? Yeah, that that was that season was insane. Um, I remember I got I ended up getting released from from Seattle and the very next morning, uh, it was like six o'clock in the morning and I got a phone call. And usually around that time, if you get especially in the season, if you're a free agent and you get a phone call at like six in the morning, especially I was on the West coast. I'm like, okay, it's, it has to be a team. And I looked and I saw, I saw Virginia. I was like, who the hell is Virginia? And I was just like, Oh, that's probably Washington. Right. So I answered it and you know, they said they're going to bring me in for a workout. Um, ended up working out and um, yeah, it, it went well. I, I, it was cool to see. I knew Scott when he was in Seattle and then I knew Perry fuel because we were on the giants together. So it was cool to see familiar faces there. And yeah. And so I, I came in and, you know, I think, I think breathing was suspended at that time. I believe that's what it was. And yeah, I came in and immediately they just, you know, put me at the dime, but I've been fortunate. I think I was in like year, you know, 10 or something like that where I, I played enough football where you can just throw me in there and it, it was no problem. But uh, yeah, I think my versatility able to understand and learn every position 
uh, within a week uh, was was cool, man. And I remember, uh, I think my first game was against the Rams, and so I was just in there just you know, lining up where I need to be and what have you. And then I think it was like two weeks later, it's like, hey, you're starting and you got Julio, you know? And I was like, and it's so funny because I remember I turned around in my locker and there was 50 cameras like, oh, you got Julio this week. And Julio just went off for 200 yards and back-to-back games. And I was excited. I'm like, shoot, like that's that's what you want, you know? That's sure, on paper, right. I would pick Julio too for my fantasy team, but I was excited for that. But that team was interesting because – we had a lot of veterans. We had a lot of outcasts. We had a lot of, like I say, grown men, you know, guys who have, who's been around the league a bit, who have had some scars and wounds and dealt with adversity. Um, because I, I, I honestly, that's the only, that's the only way we won that division that year is yeah. because we had a bunch of guys who, who despite whatever was going on in the building, <clears throat> we were responsible for ourselves because with with Jay, Jay, I don't I don't think Jay was designed for like a younger team, you know, because he honestly just he's like, hey, I want to just call plays, I want to coach, and like I don't want to deal with like having to babysit and police everybody. So that team was perfect for him because we had a bunch of guys that would be like, hey man, like it was it was good and bad. Like Jay was one of us, mm-hmm. which was cool, but it was also bad because he was one of us. Yeah, you know? um, because we would you know everybody would talk smack to one another, but. Um, I just feel like that team was 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 built uh, properly. Otherwise, there was no way in hell we were, we should have won that division. Other other than that team being like that. It's interesting to hear you say what you said about Jay Gruden because after the 2015 Redskins, we had the 2016 Redskins, and that 2016 team went eight seven and one. So yes, a winning record, but that 2016 team missed the playoffs uh, thanks to a crushing loss to the Giants at FedEx Field on New Year's Day in Week 17. Uh, the third down defense for that 2016 Redskins team was really bad. Uh, we know that Bashad Breeland had major problems with what was going on off the team having signed Josh Norman. I remember the team had like this revolving door at nickel corner that season. You were a part of that 2016 Redskins secondary. Help us understand what went wrong for the 2016 Redskins. Um, gosh, I don't know, man, because that that game was set up for us. I think we only gave up like 10 points on defense, you know. Um, it just fell apart in terms of that. Actually, you know what? That was hard to explain because I would say like defense-wise, but we played really good the last game like to get in. The Giants didn't even need that game. That's what's right. crazy. They didn't need that game, and they went in there and beat us anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. We dealt with a lot of adversity, but I, I think – I will say that, especially on the defense. I know, I know when we brought in Josh, that really rubbed, uh, you know, Bashad the, the wrong way because he he felt like he was, you know, RCB one, and you know we we jumped we jump out there and we throw seventy five at Josh, you know, to come in there and, and and be another guy for us. So it was it took a lot of work for for them to, you know, play together. And I would say I did a lot of of a big brothering and babysitting to, to get them guys together. And it's like, look, man, at the end of the day, if we all win, we all get taken care of. It doesn't even matter. Now we have two guys that are number ones. Like, let's go guys. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think it was a lot to do that. So that's why I was like, thank God. Like I played safety because now, you know, I actually, at safety, you can control a lot of things that go on. You know what I'm saying? I, I studied enough for, 
the whole secondary. Yeah. So I knew I knew how Breland played. I knew how Josh played. I knew how Kendall Fuller played, who ended up being our nickel and was really good at it. And I knew how Duke played. I knew how you know. All, I knew how everyone played. So that that's what really helped. Why did Bashad Breland get rubbed so wrong by the team signing Josh Norman? Like, so you sign another corner, you're still a starting corner. You can still be a very good corner. And like you said, yeah. you can still end up getting paid. Why was Breland turned so off by that? So I would say this. It wasn't so much he got rubbed the wrong way that they went and got him. I think the fact that when he got here, it was like he it was he was he wasn't happy in terms of like it, he wasn't being treated equally. So it was like, hey, you know, Josh could do one thing and get away with it, but Breland crucified him if he did something. And he's like, hold on. He's like, this guy just did the same thing. So why are you getting on me about it? Is it because he's 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 getting paid more? You know, it, so I, I think I will say I know for a fact it was simply because of the fairness. I don't think I'm, I'm take that back. He wasn't he wasn't mad that we brought in another guy. I think when we brought in the other guy. Everyone kind of like favored him so much that it was kind of like now Breland was like second fiddle and Breland can. You know, he, he has to like be on on point. Otherwise, he's going to get in trouble for things that like Josh would get in trouble for. So I think it came down to like the fairness. Hey, if we're both starters, we're both number one corners. Like, hey, let's treat us fairly. Yeah. And, you know, I will agree. Like there were times where he wasn't treated fairly. So did the Redskins have a culture problem when you played for him? You know, the word culture gets used a lot now with the commanders. And a lot of that has to do with the workplace misconduct scandal. Put that off to the side. Hearing you detail what was going on between Bashad Breeland and Josh Norman, what strikes me is, hey, where was the head coach, Jay Gruden? Where was the defensive coordinator, Joe Barry? Where was the defensive backs coach, Perry Fuel? Where was the general manager, Scott McLuhan? Where was the team president, Bruce Allen? Where was someone to get Breeland and Norman on the same page? Or where was someone to make sure that Breland and Norman were treated fairly. Uh, did the Skins have a culture problem when you played for the team? Yeah, I mean, culture is, that's, that's the number one thing for any team. You know, I just had a conversation about about the Browns. And, you know, when they had, when they got everybody and they were loaded up with OBJ and all the defensive guys and the runner backs. And I'm like, the only thing that could mess up that franchise is, um, is culture. You know, and you and you saw it. Culture ended up having them underachieve. They, I think, they underachieved the most. But in terms of Washington, when I was there, I was, culture was a big thing because my my biggest pet peeve is I hate when when there's a problem, no one addresses it. You know, like I remember being in Green Bay with Coach McCarthy, and he would always say, "Conflict is good." Because when there's conflict, that means we have to figure out what's going on. There's a conflict because we don't understand each other. So let's handle, let's handle like grown men. Let's hash it out, talk about it, and then we can get on the same page. Like you got to go through stuff, right? There's yeah. no, there's no perfect team. There's no perfect marriage. There's no perfect friendship. Like you guys are gonna have a disagreement eventually. So let's get on the same page. And I think you know when it came down to it with that team, um, when it came to handling adversity and, and conflict um i just feel like it just wasn't <clears throat> it wasn't handled properly from 
the coach's perspective. Now, when it got to the players, like, we were good. We ended up, like, figuring out, like, hey, at the end of the day, Sunday, like, do your thing. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to like each other. We don't have to be best friends. I don't have to talk to you all week after practice. But, like, Sunday, like, let's – for these three hours, guys, like, let's let's do our thing. And for the most part, that is exactly what happened. We, we never had any disagreements or anything on the field. I think there was, like, one game where – there was a little like argument, but for the most part, when we were on the field, there was there were no beefs really. It was a crazy time. I mean, I remember you had the whole Sue Cravens thing in that 2016 season. You know that became a mess. But the thing that really hovered over the franchise over your two seasons with them was that whole Kirk Cousins saga, and that became such a saga. And to this day, it ticks me off as a fan because I'm just like, <laughs> look, I know he's not elite. But he is more good than bad. And all the Redskins had to do was pay him what you needed to pay guys at that time to lock them up. And the team would not do it. Bruce Allen would not do it. And I just, I can I still can't get over that. That they had someone and they just let him walk. And, and they basically got nothing back for him. What do you remember thinking about Kirk as a quarterback and as a guy over those two seasons? I mean, those were his first two seasons as a starter. Those were his two best seasons as a starter for the Redskins. What do you remember going through your mind about the whole Kirk situation? Yeah, I mean, right, you know, sign him to get stability. You know, that's, you want stability at the quarterback position because, like, like I mentioned earlier, as soon as he left, it's been a different ballgame, you know. What I do remember is we had a pretty good, we had a pretty good offense. <laughs> yeah. Know, we, we had Deshaun, we had Pierre. You know, we had Jamison, we had, you know, Reed, we had all these guys. We had a really good offensive line. Um, you know, we had, we rotated a lot with guys at running back, but that offense, you can, you can play multiple running backs um, for, for different reasons. Um, but I just, I just knew like, hey, he just had to go out there and, and just throw it to these guys. But, and, and he did it, you know what I'm saying? So I think ultimately it wasn't so much, it came down to not so much of them, not wanting to give him his money. But I think towards the end, Kirk was like, I don't even want to be here. Yeah. He's like, honestly, I like, I don't want to be here anymore because he basically, you know, you had, you had, you had Jay saying one thing, you had Bruce saying one thing, you had Scott saying one thing. So he's like, I don't know who to trust. So ultimately it came down to like, look, I'm going to keep getting this tag. <laughs> you know, I'm going to keep getting this tag. Price is going to go up. I'm going to keep playing because once you get the tag, it's guaranteed no matter what. And then I'm out. I'm going to go get my money. So power to him on that. I think he wanted to. I think in the beginning, Kirk really wanted to be here. But towards the end, I think he want, He just he was done. He was over it because he didn't know he didn't know who to trust. Yeah. I don't blame him. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think the Redskins did a really bad job of making Kirk Cousins want to stay. Like you could have locked him up after the 2015 season. You could have potentially locked him up after the 2016 season. And as you indicated, there's an irony to all of this because he ends up playing on the franchise tag back to back years. So you ended up paying him massive money for two seasons anyway. You overpaid him. And, you know, one of the things about the NFL that's so true to me is you sign a guy today for what seems like big money, that ends up looking like a bargain sooner rather than later. The cap keeps going up. It used to be a big deal when you gave a quarterback $30 million. Now it's $40 right. million. Eventually, it's going to be $50 million. So just lock in the price now. And if the guy continues to be good, it's going to look like a bargain in just a few years. And I don't know, the team just refused to do that. 
with him. You know, I think about your career. You've had such an interesting NFL career. You were with the Packers 2006 through 2010. So you were with the Pack during the whole Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers transition and drama. Uh, What was that situation like? No, it was wild because, you know, I get there and Favre is the guy. They just uh, had an interesting season. And then, you know, there were talks about, you know, all right, we're ready to move on and, and have Aaron do the thing. And there was one game in 2007 we played in Dallas. And we really got to see Aaron, you know, against the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. And that was like, okay, this dude's legit. Um, you know, and then Brett goes on and ends up, we get we get the first seed and, we get a first round bye. Excuse me. We lost them one seed, I believe it was, and we, you know, we go to the NFC Championship game. So he just ended up playing really, really well. And so, yeah, that whole next year was weird because it wasn't. Somebody mentioned, um, a reporter mentioned, like, here we go again, Brett Favre two, what Aaron's going through right now. I'm like, it's not even close. Aaron is Aaron is simply undecided right now. He doesn't know what he wants to do. Brett Favre did not want to leave. <laughs> they were they were <laughs> they were pushing him out the door like, look, okay now, like come on now. Yeah. And so I, it was totally different. So it was it was pretty wild and interesting. But I will say this in Green Bay, uh, they did a good job at the time. I don't know how it is now, but at the time, like things didn't really get to the locker room. You know, things didn't really come down and, and bother us too much. Again, we had a we had a veteran team. Uh, we had a bunch of really good players. So None of none of it really affected us. I think those things happen, you know, with, with a young team. Um, that's when, if there's adversity and drama, that's where you can see a lot of things going on. But you know, I've been in two situations where when there was adverse, actually three, <clears throat> when there was adversity in Green Bay, all good. When I was in New York and we dealt with adversity, all good. Same thing in Washington, we dealt with adversity. It was it was all good. We still end up winning divisions. So three teams I won. Uh, we were in the division with. Um, and so, yeah, I think that was, that was, pretty, that was funny, but we knew, we know a locker room. Look, if this guy goes like, we're good. Yeah. We got Aaron Rodgers. We see him every day. He was better. He was funny in practice. We will go against like Favre, And then, you know, the twos were going against Aaron. Aaron, our backup was better than most team starters. So. I think that's part of the issue for the Packers now. They don't feel that way about Jordan Love, and so they're, they're, <laughs> they're bending over backwards so A-Rod won't go nowhere. Uh, that seems yeah. pretty clear. Uh, one more for you. So you mentioned the Giants. You're a Super Bowl champion. You were on that 2011 Super Bowl champion Giants team. We talked earlier about Ron Rivera. We've talked about culture. Uh, Tom Coughlin, what was it like playing for him? Uh, it was. You know what? I love playing for Tom. I look, first. Here, let me say this. I could play for any coach whose whose best interest is in us and, and for the team. Um, I played for coaches of, of all styles, of all types of styles. I played for, you know, the 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 motivating, the uh, inspirational, like Coach Gus Bradley, where you know he was a positive, really positive coach. I played for, you know, I played for Jay. I played for. Coughlin, I played for McCarthy. I played all for all these things. At the end of the day, the common denominator, like all these dudes want to win, and they they didn't try to enforce their their ego on people. You know, as much as people like say all kinds of crazy things about Jay, like I like playing for Jay because Jay was Jay just really he just wanted to win. It, he wasn't trying to be Vince Lombardi. You know, what I'm saying he he wasn't trying to flex. I'm like, hey, I'm this dude. He just wanted to win and. He knew what he was dealing with in terms of like the front office stuff, um, but the one thing I loved about Coughlin is he he really gave the players a lot of ownership 
like he created a leadership council or leadership committee um, where if there was any kind of issues in the locker room, like you guys handle it. And if it's too great for you guys to handle, then it'll get to me. You know, um, he, he would meet with them weekly, I believe it was, and just discuss what was going on. And um, and he and he had to set rules in place like, yes, yeah, set your clocks back five minutes early and make sure you're five minutes early before that. You know what I'm saying? So everyone's on time. Make sure you, your dress code is, is properly. Make sure all these things. So he would find you for everything. So like, hey, you, you, you got the guidelines and the rules. But something that really stood out to me was when um, our speech before the Super Bowl. Actually, no, I would say still, his wife, Judy, was a big part of telling him to relax. Apparently, the old seven, Coughlin, was kind of like really aggro and guys didn't like him. So she actually she told him, like, they need to see how you are with your grandkids. And and you started changing that. Like, he started playing with our kids in the locker room. He, he became more chill and relaxed. He still was like, you know, Coach Coughlin, the one that people know, but he was more relaxed. But the speech before the Super Bowl uh, in 2011 you know, you're waiting for this, like, really cool rah-rah speech, you know? Like, the speech for the San Fran game, that, and the conference championship, yeah. it was like, burn the ships. Like, we're going to San Fran, and we're burning the ships. Like, we ain't going back. Like, let's go. But before the Patriot game, he, he literally just, instead of this crazy, like, strong speech, he just went around the room and highlighted each guy how they, how they sacrificed, you know, for the team. You know, like, guys who who needed surgery midseason and didn't miss a game or guys who, you know, probably had surgery or guys who had to take all these medicines or, or all these things, like everyone who sacrificed for us to be where we are. And he really, it was straight emotion, no script. And I mean, the guy was on the verge of tears and I never seen him like that. And so that was just him being super authentic. And that's what I love about him, man. It's like the coffin I got to play for was, yeah, he was who he was, who people pick, you know, put him out to be, but he was still really authentic. That's really cool to hear that. I mean, authenticity is something that people always like and always want. If you want to see, if you want to do well in this league, if you want, if you want to win a player's heart, if you want them to be on your side, like just be straight up. I tell people, like as players, like we we just want the answers. Just give us the answers. Like, hey, if if I know you're really trying to help me succeed, dude, it's all good. Yeah. But, but as soon as like you start doing some weird stuff and what have you, and you know you try to let's rotate guys and oh I want to see this guy. Like, no, if if you don't think I'm playing well, then just say so. You know, I had a situation. You know, with um. I remember I, I gave up a couple of touchdowns when I was in Washington and I saw my playing time getting less and less and less. And I approached, I was like, I said, Joe Barry, I said, what's up? Am I getting demoted? Like, what's the word? Like, have I not been playing up to, up to well? And I already know why I feel like I, I know I can play better. And he was like, well, you know, well, well, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to call it like a demotion, but you know, I was like, well, just let me know what the deal is versus me like looking on the screen and like, you know, oh, I'm not doing this this week. You know what I'm saying? Catching me off guard or the coach like, yeah, you know, coaches want to see something. Just, just say what it is. Like we can, we can handle rejection. We can handle a loss. Just tell us what it is. Cause if we, if you don't know what, what's going on, like if, you know, something happening at work for you and, 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 and you don't know what the hell happened without an explanation, then it, it doesn't sit well. You know what I'm saying? So just be straight up and, and you'll be fine with players. Was communication a problem with Joe Barry? 
communication was, I would say, it wasn't a problem. Because the one thing I do like about Joe Barry, Joe Barry will, he will admit when he's wrong. He will admit his faults. He will let you know, like, yo, I screwed up. Like, he will say that stuff. He was totally open and honest. But I think, again, it, which is weird, it's hard. people in that position, in leadership roles, like coaches or executives, for some reason, it's hard for them to say, because Joe, Joe's really, he, he really considers people's feelings, but in this league, you really can't. Yeah. And I respect him for that. And so I feel like it's a tough conversation for him to have. I mean, that, but that was then. That was 2015, 16. I'm sure things change now. He's doing a hell of a job in Green Bay. And I was an advocate for him to help him. Not help him, but when people ask me, I'm like, yeah, like Joe Barry's going to do well for you guys because he knows what it looks like to not do well. <laughs> yeah, Joe Barry has had some rough defenses. Uh, there's no question about that. Well, Will, this has been a lot of fun. It was really good to get your insights on the commanders. Get some story time with you as well. Everyone listening, check out thewinemvp.com. Will Blackman, all the best to you. Thank you, I Appreciate it, buddy. Well, we had both Virginia and Virginia Tech in action on Wednesday night. The Cavaliers lost, the Hokies won, and as things stand right now, it could be that both teams make the NCAA tournament. It also could be that neither team makes the NCAA tournament. Uh, let's start with Virginia. It fell to 17-11 and 11 overall and 11-7 and 7 in the ACC with a 65-61 loss to number 7 Duke at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville on Wednesday night. So no, uh, the Cavaliers did not sweep Duke in the regular season. Remember, the Cavs had that tremendous 69-68 win at then number 7 Duke on February 7th. Reese Beekman connected on the game-winning three in the final second of the game. Wednesday night, we had a great atmosphere in Charlottesville. UVA honored the retiring Duke head coach, Mike Krzyzewski, prior to the game. The game was close, uh, but the Cavs uh, actually trailed for the entire second half. Their largest deficit was an eight-point deficit in the second half. Cavs' defense wasn't great. Cavs allowed Duke to go 7-17 on threes, allowed Duke to go 17-33 on twos. Cavs also allowed Duke to attempt 17 free throws, although Duke went just 10 of 17 on free throws. Uh, also, the Cavs allowed 6'6 true freshman A.J. Griffin to catch fire late in the game. Now, UVA held Griffin to just three points on just one of eight shooting through the first 36 minutes of the game, but Griffin then scored 10 points over the final four minutes of the game. The Cavs did do a really good job on the 6'10 true freshman Paolo Bancaro. Uh, Paolo Bancaro, the 2021 2022 preseason ACC Player of the Year, in addition to being the preseason ACC Freshman of the Year. But UVA held Bancaro to 0 of 3 on threes and just 2 of 10 on twos and got him to commit three turnovers in 36 minutes, 30 seconds as a starter. He finished with eight points, five rebounds, and five assists. So, you know, this was not lockdown defense by Virginia, but this also was not like hideous defense by Virginia. The Wahoos, though, were not good enough offensively. Uh, the Hoos did go 8 of 20 on threes, but most of that was Kihei Clark. He went 6 of 11 on threes. The rest of the Hoos went a combined 2 of 9 on threes. The Hoos went just 16 to 35 on twos, and the Hoos attempted just 8 free throws the entire game. Uh, UVA went 5 of 8 on free throws. Now, I mentioned Kihei Clark, Virginia's 5'10 senior point guard. He went 6 of 11 on threes, 3 of 4 on twos. He finished with 25 points, 7 assists, 
versus two turnovers, six rebounds, including two offensive boards and two steals in 38-11 as a starter. This overall was a tremendous game from Kihei Clark. He did, though, do the bulk of his damage in the first half. Uh, Kihei in the first half registered all six of his made threes and totaled 18 points. So there is that to note that the second half was not what the first half was, but still, overall, tremendous game for Kihei Clark. Here was UVA head coach Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference on Kihei Clark's big first half. Yeah, he kept us in it. You know, he, he shot a pull-up three, and I told him, I said, if you're going to do that, you better make it, you know, because he did. But uh, he kept us in it offensively, was moving hard. You know, he just kind of got in the zone, and the guys were finding him. And, uh, again, I, I think Duke really guarded us pretty hard, uh, so we had to work. I mean, it was a physical game where you had to cut and move without the ball and find openings, and, you know, Kihei was really all we had uh, pretty much early. But I liked how our guys in the second half found the lane a little more. Um, and made some plays, and Jaden got going, and uh, and Reese did. But but yeah, that was uh, quite a quite a first half shooting performance by him. Yeah, you heard Tony Bennett mention Jaden and Reese, uh, the East Carolina transfer, Jaden Gardner. He on Wednesday night went 0 of 1 on threes and just 2 of 4 on free throws. But he also went 7 of 14 on twos, finished with 16 points. And three assists versus no turnovers in 38-07 as a starter. He did have just four rebounds, although two of them were offensive rebounds. Uh, Reese Beekman on Wednesday night, just one of four on threes. Uh, but he also went three of five on twos, finished with 11 points, seven rebounds, five assists versus one turnover and two steals in 38-45 as a starter. The Cavs weren't terrible in this game, but they did lose the game. Uh, they were an NCAA tournament bubble team going into this game and they're even more so now. It's tricky with the Hoos. They're 11-7 and in the ACC. I mean, you just look at that, you say, well, that's a pretty good uh, ACC record, right? 11-7. and But a lot of the advanced stats are not kind to the Hoos this season. They, as of the latest data on KenPalm.com, are just the number 74 team in the country. Uh, Virginia has just two regular season games left, home to Florida State Saturday afternoon at 4, and then at Louisville on Saturday, March 5th at noon. Now, the advanced stats are kind to Virginia Tech this season, and the Hokies did win on Wednesday night. They improved to 17-11 and 11 overall and 9-8 and eight in the ACC with a 62-58 win at Georgia Tech. Now, Georgia Tech is not a good team this season, but the Hokies did get the road win. Tech, as of the latest data on KenPalm.com, is the number 33 team in the country. The Hokies improved to 7-1 and one since their 2-7 and seven start in the ACC. Tech actually trailed at the half 34-30, but then won the second half 32-24. The Hokies' defense was iffy in the first half, but was quite good in the second half. Hokies in the first half allowed Georgia Tech to score 34 points and go 3-5 on threes and 11-22 on twos. But the Hokies in the second half held Georgia Tech to just 24 points, just 1-8 of eight on threes and just 8-18 of 18 on twos. Uh, Tech won despite being shaky offensively. Tech went just 6-24 on threes. This out of nowhere has become a problem for Virginia Tech. Shooting threes. Uh, Tech had been lights out on threes this season. Tech now over its last four games is a mere 24 of 97 on threes. Just 24.74% on threes is Tech over its last four games. I'm not sure what's happened to Virginia Tech's three-point shooting. Again, it was outstanding, and now over the last four games has not been good. Uh, also, Tech committed 13 turnovers on Wednesday night, but Tech did go 17-25 to 
on twos. Nahima Lean was good on threes for Tech on Wednesday night. Three of seven on threes, one of three on twos, finished with 12 points, two steals, three rebounds, and two assists versus one turnover in 32 minutes as a starter. Keve Aluma went 0 of 1 on threes and just 4 of 11 on twos. He did finish, though, with 12 points, 10 rebounds, including three offensive boards and two steals in 32 minutes as a starter. But Hunter Couture went just 1 of 9 on threes and committed three turnovers in 36 minutes as a starter. He finished with 7 points, 5 rebounds, and 3 assists. And Storm Murphy, 0 of 3 on threes, scored just 2 points in 27 minutes as a starter. But the Hokies won. Virginia Tech has three regular season games left. Next up at Miami, Saturday afternoon at three. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 259, will feature a special guest, Pro Football Focus Senior Data Scientist, Timo Riska. Yes, I said Pro Football Focus Senior Data Scientist, Timo Riska. He's a madman. Uh, Timo has done a lot of research on what qualifies as a successful NFL draft for a team. And so Timo's going to talk about how the team, now known as the Commanders, has done in recent drafts and what that means for the Commanders' current roster as the team is in the midst of this search for a franchise quarterback. Uh, Draft season, as you likely know, is very much here. The NFL Scouting Combine will begin this Tuesday, March 1st. Also on Friday's show, I'll post game games on Thursday night for the Capitals, Maryland, and Georgetown. Uh, The Caps will be at the New York Rangers Thursday night at 7, and what will be the Caps' first game since last Thursday night, February 17th, a 5-3 win at the Philadelphia Flyers. The Terrapins will be at Indiana at 7. The Hoyas will be home to DePaul Thursday night at 8 as they try for that oh-so-elusive first Big East win of the season. Georgetown, incredibly, horrifically, is 0-15 in the Big East. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. There it is. (laughs)